Gianluca, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, you are arguably one of the most outspoken, uh, outspoken AI lecturers, I would call you, uh, okay. out yeah. there. I see you all the time on Instagram and, and, and all these platforms where you are sort of teaching about AI, talking about AI. But uh, maybe you want to tell a bit about yourself before I make the whole introduction. Sure. So my name is Gianluca. I'm from Italy, if you want to be more precise from Rome. If you want to be even more precise from a small town next to Rome called Grotta Ferrada. <laughs> um, I'm, an, I'm an energy engineer, actually. So I didn't study AI in university. Mm-hmm. I started to study engineering because... Honestly, I didn't know what to do, if I had to be really honest. I liked science, I liked technology, and I thought, okay, I'm going to study engineering like my dad. Then one day I moved to Silicon Valley because I won a scholarship. And that was six years ago, roughly. That was exactly when AI was taking off. Uh, at the time, basically... Six just, years, so like 2014. Yeah, yeah. 2014, 14, uh, 15, yeah, yeah, around that time. Yeah. Um, that was exactly when, you know, the first big milestones were reached. When AI started to go from a research topic to, hey, maybe this... There's some applications here, we can actually yeah, use this. Maybe this actually works, you know? <laughs> um, and so I got super passionate about it. And I remember that the feeling that I got when I was in Silicon Valley mm. was that there was this insane tool that could help everyone, every organization build amazing products. Mm. And I thought, well, if I go back to Europe, I need to tell everyone what I've seen, right? Mm. Because, I mean, it's just not scalable to bring all Europeans to Silicon Valley and show them what tech companies are doing, right? It's already a pretty crowded place, so uh, yeah. probably not need more Europeans there. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I think that's why I decided to start, you know, making videos of Instagram, making videos on LinkedIn and all that stuff. Because I really cared about trying to make people more aware of the revolution that is happening around the world, you know? So in a nutshell, that's, that's my story. and That's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. So you went from San Francisco 2014-15 back to Europe? Back to Italy, yeah. Back to Italy in 16? Or when did you...? Uh, gosh, I'm confused now. I think uh, 15? Yeah. Yeah, 2015 I came back to Italy. Yeah. Um, and then I started doing these workshops uh, because I thought, okay, I need to show people what, I, what I've seen in Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. So I started doing workshops where I will teach people artificial intelligence together with my co-founder, Nicolo. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was just getting started in this technology. My co-founder was already really good. Way ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm always the guy who likes to talk against the smart guy who actually you know, writes right. the code and, and is really good at it. <laughs> um, and so what happened is just that people started to ask me, hey, um, thank you for teaching me this stuff. This is really cool. I want to do something with it. Can you help me build an algorithm, build this project? What do you think about this? Do you think we can do this? And okay, I so found people, myself... People started coming to you like, hey, what can we do yeah. with AI? What, what are you able to yeah. help us with? Okay. It was a, an unintended side effect of mm. teaching people. Because I had this passion for just showing what AI is and what you can do with it. Mm. And then people get excited, right? They're like, wow, so are you telling me that I can solve this business challenge that I have? Mm. Like, can you help me do that? And at the time, there were not many AI technical consulting companies. Right. And so I decided to start my own. And together with my co-founder, Nico, we started working with a lot of different companies, um, both in Italy and in Europe, mm. uh, trying to build projects. So do first education, because that's still the core of what we do. Because mm. that's still what I really cared about and still care about. Mm. And then starting to do the, the technical consulting, so building technology for these companies. Okay, so you do both actually. I've done both. Day, or you've um, done both. To okay. this day, I, I found out that there's this 
interesting trend in AI, which I think happened also in with you know mobile apps and this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where technology starts become always more and more a commodity, right? I think you're probably seeing uh, as well. It becomes always right. a little bit more high level, and then there's another tool that makes it even you know yeah. more high level to build this drag and, and drop, you know, exactly. no coding skills whatsoever. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you start seeing way more people also getting into data science and AI. Mm. So while before there were not many people that could code these things, now there's just lots of you know free courses online. There's a lot of people that are getting into it. So there's a surplus almost of junior AI developers. And what I saw in my consulting experience is that companies that were successful were not successful because their algorithm was better. Mm. It was not because they had the best neural network. Right. It was because they had a better strategy a better understanding of what AI could do. Mm. They had a clearer vision. And so I thought, why am I focusing on the technology when that's not where companies win or lose? Right. You know? The war it's fought on the strategy. Right. And so I decided to just dial down the technical consulting. Mm. I still do some mentorship for for junior data scientists. Okay. Uh, but I mostly do strategic consulting. So I mostly talk to the, the business people right. in the companies and lots of education because that's still what drives me. It's still what you know makes me passionate about the topic. Right. And it's still needed because let's just say it, a lot of people are still don't have clear ideas right. of what AI is and what they can do with it, you know? Who do you see out there that does AI strategy? That, like, who has is a shining light that you look to when you look at AI strategy that hmm. has really executed well and you know really thought it through, basically? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, if we look in Silicon Valley or in general tech companies, there's mm. so many companies that have done amazing stuff. Uh, one of them is Netflix, for instance. Mm. Netflix, the famous for being extremely data driven. Right. Everything that happens on Netflix has some algorithm that has, mm. you know, optimized whatever was there to be optimized. Right. If we go outside of Silicon Valley, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, but I think it's mostly a marketing problem, meaning that companies don't sell themselves as AI-driven. Exactly, mm. data-driven or whatever. Mm. But Booking.com, for instance, mm. is an amazing organization right. that uses data across every step of their processes. Mm. Um, other examples, maybe more niche that maybe people don't know about, but it's interesting to hear about. There's this Italian company called Translated that okay. was founded in, if I'm not mistaken, in 1999. Okay. Okay. Very old school. <laughs> yeah, very old school. Translated, translated.com. Translated.com, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so they were doing um, professional translations. Mm. So traditionally, um, with, with professional translations, I'm talking about the manual of the Boeing 747, you know, like right. this kind of very complex stuff. Right. You will have Boeing giving the document to a translation company and they will find someone else to translate this document because you need to be like an expert in English and Italian but also in mechanical engineering. Yeah, exactly. Right? You need to be industry experts so you know what exactly. the heck you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they they wanted to be in to remove basically these middlemen mm-hmm. and be able to match documents and professional translators. And so the reason why I'm, I'm saying I'm talking about them is because this strategy was, I think, like amazing. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they used AI, which today it's weird to call it AI, but at the time, like Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, mm-hmm. uh, made a blog post uh, talking about AI to classify spam emails. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And he read the blog post, Marco, the founder of Translated, and thought, well, I can do the same with resumes. Right. And so he started using. AI at the time to sort resumes. Mm. 
Then when he had more data, he thought, well, maybe I can use AI to find the best translator for each document. Right. And then when he got even more data, he thought, well, maybe I can use all these professional translations to build my own AI translator. For professionals. Exactly. So what? fast forward to today, I think between English and Italian, 73% of the words are translated by AI wow. and 27 are made up. Are humans are humans professional translators and that number is probably going going down yeah exactly but if you give a professional translation made by a human mm-hmm. to another professional translator mm-hmm. he still changes 10 percent of the words okay you know because yeah, you know it's about in the little yeah. shades yeah the degree details exactly yeah. so the reason why i made this example is because they if you see they started building very simple applications and then they built on top of these ones Mm. Until now, they're the biggest professional translation company in the world. Right. So wow. there are examples of very cool companies that are these guys. I mean, Rome. You know, right. they have a super nice villa in in the in a in a nice area of Rome. Nice. Um, I think that in Europe we market ourselves not as well as in Silicon Valley. Mm. There are great examples in Denmark as well. Mm. There's a company in Oros does energy trading mm. using AI. They're incredibly successful. Yeah, I think Europe because of legislation in particular we're not ai afraid but we don't really market ourselves because it has a negative ring to it i think Mm. a lot in europe uh, much Mm. more than in other places we have gdpr regulation that europe not pioneered but at least we we came up with a sort of large uh, legislation around collecting data Mm. Uh, so europe and particularly in Germany, is my experience at least, mm. uh, they are very scared of you know companies in particular collecting personal data. No, I don't know if you see the same though. Um, I've seen the same definitely in, but I mean, I also worked a lot with pharmaceutical companies. So companies there, by right. definition, almost and by default, much they, more. Uh, yeah, they need to collect personal data and do yeah. tests and all these things. Yeah. And they're also more much more scared in general, you know. Um, right. right. But I think you're right. I mean, in. In Silicon Valley, especially, there's this mentality of, um, I gotta grow, you know, I need to grow, I need to build the best tech, technologies that is the focus of everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, here we try to have a little bit more emphasis on, on the people, right. Right? right? So it's not growth at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but then there's this other um, aspect of it is that we have so many cases of really great companies that no one knows about, yeah. you know? <laughs> Which is, I don't know, maybe should be fixed in some way. Maybe we should tell more stories of European companies. <laughs> Enough of these Facebook success stories, of Netflix success stories. We have our own. We should tell them, right? Did you see the, you mentioned Facebook just now. I thought about it earlier also. Did you see the social dilemma? I have, yeah. What do you think about it? Well, I made actually a pretty long video on YouTube about this. Um, I'm going to give you my short idea. So I think they... They've done a good job in making people more aware of what is going on behind the scenes, let's say. Okay. Netflix, you mean? Uh, or Facebook? Not the documentary. Yeah. So Netflix, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, to me, I mean, it was nothing particularly new, mm. but still, it gave me that little kick mm. of thinking more about what are the real consequences of this. Because mm. we know that, you know, we know that Facebook has been trying to you know, make us hooked to this to this phone and trying to you know use it as much as we can, mm-hmm. um, and we know that the AI behind it it's that's not the fault of the AI. You know, someone told this algorithm, hey, yeah. do whatever you can mm-hmm. to optimize one metric, which is engagement, yeah. whatever you can. And so one thing that the social dilemma 
I didn't like how they did it is that it seems like these algorithms are evil, you know, they right. are the ones that are trying to manipulate you. Right. They're just doing what people behind the scenes are, you know, asking them to do. And so the real problem is not the technology, it's the business model. If you have a company whose business model has a, basically a direct correlation between revenues and how much people are standing at their phone and all they want to do is bring revenues up, mm. well then, you know, Go that's, yeah, yeah. that's the issue, right? Yeah. Um, mm. So that's a big problem, but I think things are changing. I see a lot of discussions around AI ethics right now. Because, mm. um, I mean, also this is also interesting. If you think about it, also TV and radio, they were trying to make people more engaged. Mm. It's no new. It's just that AI is so freaking powerful. Mm. And we have, you know, this little thing in our pockets, mm. so it gets more, you know? Yeah. Um, but so then the question is, if we realize that we are so hooked by these things and to the point of hurting us, to the point of, you know, increasing the this depression rates in mm. young generations, mm. what do we do then? Mm. Should we try to change the business model? Should we try to say, hey, AI can't be that powerful? It has to be a little bit less powerful, otherwise people die? Yeah, or can we tell... The cat's out of the bag. We're it's, not going to go back. Exactly. It's just really hard to, to find a way to, to solve this. I think one, probably one way of looking at it is why do we have to build technology that has a single KPI? Mm. Why can't you try to optimize for engagement with a constraint? Mm. And the constraint could be, I don't know, it's really hard to define because then we need to make very important decisions. Yeah, I think that's a problem. I think it's a very good point that the KPI and the, the, the thing that you're optimizing for is flawed. It's fundamentally flawed and has perverse incentives just yeah. to keep people locked in there and addicted to a, to a social media network. But it's just so hard. I was almost about to ask you what KPI would you optimize for, but it's just so hard to pick that. I mean, who are, who are we to say that this is the right thing to optimize for? Yeah. Or who is Mark Zuckerberg the right person to say this is the right thing to yeah. optimize for? It's, it's very hard. But if you were to, you know, if you were Mark Zuckerberg, what would you, if you were to, to sort of sit there and say, okay, I have this massive platform that people are almost addicted to more and more uh, out there. I want to do good in the world. I don't need much more money. I'm already a billionaire. I want to change the optimization algorithm. Yeah. What would you do? Damn. <laughs> That's a hard question. I think I think they started a process of measuring all the side effects of it. Yeah. Um, this, 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 uh, once I was at a conference and one guy said that we first invented ships to mm -hmm. sail around the sea mm -hmm. and then we invented uh, light vests nice. because we were like, damn, like there's a side effect of ships that you fall <laughs> and then you die, nice. you know? Um, and I think we're doing the same thing with this technology. Mm. So we first invented the tech to optimize for engagement, whatever. And now we're like, oh damn, people can get depressed. Oh damn, this can happen. Oh damn, bullying. Yeah. So what's the life vest going to be for social media? Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I... I understand that they didn't foresee these things. Mm. I mean, you think, okay, I'm Mark Zuckerberg. I can yeah. tell you, I didn't foresee when I was in Harvard in my dorm yeah. uh, that it, this will become something for two billion users. Yeah, there's this infamous clip of Mark Zuckerberg sitting in the dorm room, you know, talking about Facebook. Yeah, it's, you know, a cool place for college graduates or college students, you know. With flip-flops. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're a few thousand users, maybe, you know, approaching 100,000 users. And it would be insane to have a million users. Can you imagine? Like, yeah. and, you know, clearly he had no idea where this thing was going. Uh, yeah. So obviously yeah. he didn't, 
he didn't think through all the implications of AI also in the, in his no. social media network. So, I mean, I'm not blaming Mark Zuckerberg. I think nobody could have predicted all that. Exactly. But I think to go back to your question, what I would do is I will, I will try to get a broader perspective of what's going on. What are all the side effects mm. of my drug, you know? Right. Um, so in, they, he would actually, I will actually take inspiration from the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. So in the pharmaceutical industry, when you put a drug on the market, then you have a protocol to record what they're called adverse events. Mm. So if you give you a pill for headache and you have stomachache, you need to report it and then I need to investigate. So if you have a, a drug that is supposed to drive engagement, nice. what are all the adverse effects of this? Mm. Bullying, um, depression, depression, and some, you know? Feeling lonely, da, da, da. yeah. Okay, let's That's monitor this stuff and let's try to actually, mm. I mean, I think we're still, what I'm trying to say is that we're still in the phase of figuring out what are the problems True. and how are they actually created by this technology. I never thought of it this way. Like we are in the beginning stages of the f- a new pharmaceutical industry. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. That's a good way of putting it, I think, hmm. because we don't know the side effects. It's I don't know, on a big scale, it's been around for maybe ten years now. Yeah. Drugs, big scale. I don't I don't know the history of uh, the pharmaceutical industry, but I'm sure they did some pretty fucked up things in the beginning, also. Oh Jesus, yeah, for sure. But that's exactly, this is a thought that I have in my head since a few months. Maybe I'm going to do some, uh, for sure, I'm going to do some projects around it next year. Um, So think about this. If I become a doctor, okay, before talking to a patient and prescribing a pill, Mm. I need to, first of all, swear the Hippocratic Oath. Mm. I need to be part of an organization. Mm. If I kill someone, it's my responsibility if I didn't do my job properly. Mm. And what happens then? Well, I may go to jail, but let's, let's also keep that aside for a second. I lose my ability of being a doctor because I fucked up and I can kill people, you know? <laughs> if I'm an engineer, it's the same thing. Me, as an engineer, I had to do an exam where I talked about ethics in engineering. Right. And if I make a bridge and the bridge falls because I was negligent, right. I lose my ability of making projects. Mm. Today, you're a data scientist you make an algorithm that is biased and it's racist or it's, uh, it makes people you know, kill themselves, etc. because you yeah. didn't think about this, this and this. Yeah, or you put people in a rabbit hole that leads to depression or leads to whatever exactly. side effects, yeah. They're like, I mean, bro, Yeah. sorry. Yeah. You know? Who's responsible? Like who? No one. I mean, people are still, are still giving the responsibility to the data. Mm-hmm. There was this big um, study from Nature, the, you know, the research journal, Right. They figured out that there's an algorithm in the U.S. that if you if you bring a patient uh, in a hospital that says, "Hey, I have these symptoms. I'm, you know, one meter eighty-two. This is my weight, etc." Mm. The algorithm says if you need to do more tests or not. Mm. And this algorithm was racist. So if you were black, it would probably send you home. If you were white, it would give you more, mm. uh, more tests. Right. So. And where does that come from? Does that come from the data? Like It comes from the what, data. What, what uh, people have done in the past? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the problem is they used, uh, no, without getting too technical, but when I read how the algorithm was done, I was like, of course this is biased. Mm. You're trying to make an algorithm learn from data collected by a, co- by a society mm. that is discriminating towards minorities, right? right. How do you think the algorithm is going to behave? Right. Right. Mm. And so in this case, when I read about it, I was like, this is obvious. Like this guy who or girl or team that build this algorithm didn't didn't do any check Mm. on the sanity of this algorithm. Right. What are they doing now? 
Mm. Are they working at Facebook? Yeah. No one told them anything, you know, because there's no responsibility. Mm. But people died because of that. A hundred percent. I'm sure that there's someone who needed to do some medical test and didn't get test prescribed and died. It's a difficult discussion, right? Because while I totally buy into the argument that the social media world needs to operate a little more like the pharmaceutical industry and there used to be checks and balances, etc., etc., I'm thinking more in the terms of social media and tech in general is moving more towards being similar to the financial industry, hmm. where too big to fail. They, you know, there's no nobody get went to jail after 2008 and 2009 financial crisis, yeah. even though the effects and the consequences for people all over the world were, you know, horrific. But if somebody, if a doctor messes up or if a pharmaceutical messes up, maybe not a pharmaceutical company because that's also a bit corrupt. Uh, the industry, uh, some of the cases there, mm-hmm. but there are checks and balances. In the, in the sense of doctors. I think that's 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 what the pharmaceutical industry has going for them. There are people sitting there that needs to, you know, they have a long education, they, they know what's best for the patient. Whether they choose to prescribe the right drug or the, the drug that's best for them, or that they have, let's say, an economic incentive, like what's happening in the US a lot, where they prescribe a drug that they know they're gonna make the most money out of. That's a bit of a problem, of course, but that's economic incentives. But at least you have the checks and balances with a doctor, I think. But I will find it hard to have a similar setup for checks and balances in technology, for example, like in finance, right? Yeah. Maybe you have a few people being fired, some engineers getting fired, some financial analysts being fired. But that's basically it. They just move on to the next thing. Then. Yeah. But it's not, it's not easy. Mm. But it's necessary, I think, you know, I don't know what's the solution yet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take inspiration from engineering, for instance, right. um, if I make a, if I build a bridge, mm-hmm. I design a bridge, the bridge falls and people die. Mm-hmm. They will come to me and be like, hey, what have you done to make sure that the bridge was correctly designed? Mm-hmm. If I followed some guidelines, right. if I did the right checks, if I paid attention to the right things, then I'm okay mm-hmm. because the bridge fell because, I don't know, some whatever, something weird happened that was yeah. impossible to predict. Right. If I didn't do these checks, then it's my fault. Right. No, copy-paste to the, to so the so healthcare you know. case, right? Oh, yeah. This is guy, because it's, it's, I think it's easier, you know, than, than with social media. Did they pay attention to bias? Yes. Mm. Was it bias anyway? Did they do their best effort to make sure that that didn't happen? Right. Then it's fine. Right. If you didn't even care, you have to, I'm sorry about it, you know? Um, and so I think you touched upon something very important before you said doctors are educated mm. to pay attention to certain things. Mm. Right now, this just, it's the wild west. Mm. Because you just- In social media. In social media, in uh, AI in general. Right. In the financial industry, the only KPI that people have is how much money you're gonna make in the end of the year. Right? Similar to Facebook. And Similar to Facebook, yeah. same thing. Yeah, I think it's a great actually uh, you know, parallelism between financial industry and social yeah. media. Yeah, and actually, uh, so I'm an economist by education, and I've been <laughs> saying that for a long time, like uh, tech companies, uh, the tech industry in general is the new financial industry. Just like we had too big to fail banks in 2008 and, and nine. let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that Google gets in trouble or Facebook gets in trouble. It will be so ingrained in the fabric of our society. Imagine if Google goes down today. Right. No. There's, there'll be riots, you know, I can't find my information, my Android doesn't work, whatever might happen. Yeah. Like nobody will, will allow that. The US government won't allow that. 
people all over the world won't allow that. So they yeah. technology more and more. Uh, I think already we see this, but it's only going to get worse from here that they are big to fail, uh, too big to fail. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's actually. I read this uh, this point of view. I'm reading a book called AI Ethics, mm. and in the book it says something very interesting. It says um, the whole world is being built on top of technology mm. that a few people control, but also that a few people understand. So think about the example you made, Google goes down. Mm. Um, the problem is, do you think the US government or the Danish government or any government can try to replicate what Google... They don't even understand how it works. It became so specialized. Yeah. It became so complex. Mm. Like, I don't want to know how the Google infrastructure works. It must be something insane, you know? Yeah. Like and the, the amount of data, like you can't just replicate that. You can't. But even if you wanted to, the just the people that can actually build that, mm-hmm. Google has them. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. what, what what can you do? You can you know get them from Google and just put them in a room and replicate the U.S. Google, the Danish Google. You know, yeah. it's just not about how big it is and how ingrained it is in society. It's also that the people who can build it, can understand it, are mm-hmm. like extremely limited, and yeah. they own the world. Yeah. Who has more power, the U.S. government or you know tech companies? And, I don't you, know. And, and I think you see that in full display with these congressional hearings, you know, when Google is invited in, when Jeff Bezos is invited in, when Mark Zuckerberg is invited in, like you see all these congressmen and women sitting there like, you know, having a tight face on and, you know, looking like, okay, now is the time for you to answer to us. And the questions that they ask are just ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's, it's a softball after a softball that they throw to Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos. They have no clue what's going on. It's yeah. so clear. So I'm a little bit pessimistic, I guess you can say, that you know tech is moving more and more to become the next financial industry rather than a pharmaceutical industry where there's actually some level of checks and balances with doctors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Simply because the legislators, US Congress, whatever it is, they don't understand what they're dealing with here, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and it's not easy. That's the thing. Like I think with medicine, um, I mean, I don't want to be presumptuous and say, "Hey, medicine is easier." Right. But it's you know we're talking about health. Mm-hmm. I, I can relate to, you know, you give me a drug and I get I don't know cancer because the drug was not properly researched. Mm-hmm. But go try to explain to a politician, hey, you know, if you click on this, then there's an algorithm that is going to learn from that and it's going to match you with other mm-hmm. people they clicked on. It's becoming so abstract and and so behind the scenes, you know, like you most of the times you you have no idea that you're interacting with some AI something, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's really hard also to explain what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have to be pessimistic or optimistic because I do see people that are starting to get into the into this field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the European Union has just released an AI ethics white paper. Okay. So I see there are some little, you know, steps. Baby steps towards. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm more worried because even if you understand, start understanding on a high level how it works, still the people that can write the code to replicate it, right. they just don't exist. Mm. So you want to replace Google? Good luck. Good luck. If Google decides, hey, you know, just, this is a stupid example. Danish government, give me, you know, five trillion coronas or I'm going to shut down Google for all Danish citizens. It's a stupid example, but just to give sure. you an idea. I mean, what do you do? You don't pay it? And then what? Danish citizens can't use Google? Mm. The, the economy collapses. I mean, mm. you know, a developer searches on Google how many times a day? 200? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. 
you know yeah so the power people in general thing. people in general like not yeah. just google searches but it's just so ingrained in everything we Gmail, do today you know yeah 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 it's crazy it's not gonna happen i think uh, the cat's out of the bag basically yeah yeah but going a little bit back to you uh Gianluca, so you went to the us you went back to rome now you're in denmark you're sitting here in copenhagen hmm. when did you come to copenhagen by the way uh two years ago two years ago sorry two years yeah, yeah. Time flies when yeah. you're having good time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what are you working on these days then? What, why did you go to Copenhagen? Like, uh, tell us a bit about the journey there. I don't know why I came to Copenhagen. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, so <laughs> I, imagine from San Francisco, uh, going back to Rome, I just didn't feel that was my place in some, in some way. Mm. Um, I need to get some more inspiration and be surrounded by people that were in my field. Mm. So I literally Googled co-living space Europe. And I found this super cool place in Copenhagen called Nest. You lived in as well. And that's how we know each other. That's how we know um, each other, yeah. And I thought, okay, this looks like a cool place. Uh, I'm going to go check it out. And so I moved to Copenhagen uh, two years ago just to experience this idea of co-living. So living with 21 entrepreneurs, creatives, people that are doing interesting stuff, basically. So you had no relations to Denmark. You Zero. Never been to Denmark? I, I had a friend in Copenhagen. It was actually funny. I she told me, "Hey, it's three years that I'm that I live here." She did her master's degree mm. at DTU. Mm. Um, why don't you come and visit? You still you never came and visit. Mm. And I I booked my flight, and two hours later, I got the email from Nest telling me, "Hey, do you want to come for an interview?" I was nice. like, "Damn!" I literally bought the ticket to two <laughs> hours ago. Destiny. Uh, but that, that's that's it. That's it. Mm. That's the only little tiny relationship I had with Copenhagen. Nice. Then I moved here and uh, I mean, then life happened. Mm. So, you know, meet people, you fall yeah. in love, you do all that stuff. Right. Uh, and then I, I guess I got stuck, meaning that I just, I just looked around and I'm like, <sighs> two I years, like, I like passed. this place. <laughs> yeah, I like this place. Uh, I think nice. I want to, I want to keep staying here for the foreseeable future, you know. What do you like about Denmark? I mean, it's not the weather compared to Spain, uh, compared to Italy for sure. It's not the weather. Um, it's, it's a bunch of different things. I think it's interesting to work in a society. Um, the feeling I have is that people actually care about a higher dimension mm. than their family, mm. you know? Mm. So there's me, it's my family, mm. my friends. Mm. And society. And society. Mm. And the idea that people actually really care about this higher dimension, mm. it's, it's refreshing, it's interesting, it's nice. And you... you I, I saw myself a lot in that, uh, even though it's maybe something that Italy is a very young country, okay, it exists since a little more than 100 years. Mm-hmm. So that level of the mindset hasn't evolved yet. And this, no, people don't. I had this conversation. We usually don't trust our government. Mm. Danes just trust it like, uh, like yeah, blindfolded. Exactly. There was this guy who said uh, he was Swedish. He said, I trust my government more than my girlfriend. Mm. It's like, dude, wow! It, it my head explodes yeah. as an Italian when you hear something like this. So that was interesting. Mm. And then I just I see the people have a, they are. I think also I live in kind of a bubble, okay? So I'm surrounded by very interesting sure. people. Sure. And they've been very inspiring. Um, have you been outside of Copenhagen? Have you seen the countryside? A little bit, work? not too much. I've been. It's very to, different sometimes. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure it's the same in Italy also. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Yes, I've been not a lot to be honest. I would like to do it more, uh, but I have been around a little bit, and I still, I still like it. I just like this country. I don't, I don't understand. Like, but Italy has a very rich culture. I mean, uh, you say that the country is young. I guess as a you know, 
as a, as the current yeah. form of the country. Exactly. So I mean, before it has always been kind of separated in different parts or right. different kings, and right. it's always been kind of yeah. Do you see that on like day to like I know the north and the south of Italy they're very different and they think very differently and all that. But yeah. uh, do you see that like in the, in the television every day in the news like it's just well divided country. I would say so. Um, mm. I mean, every part of Italy has its own dialect, its own mm. you know traditional food, its own. Right. It's we know we are all Italians, but. You also have to think how Italy became a country. You know, this, this, the king just paid a guy to go from the south until mm. uh, to to the to north, north, and either pay the small little kings or to fight with them to unify the country. Okay. And there's this famous sentence that this guy went to the king and said, "I made Italy. Now you make Italians." <laughs> there was no kind of you know big overall conception of being Italians. Um, mm. You do see that. So wait, that's that's actually history. Like somebody. Was sitting in the south. Where where are we like geographically? Are we in the south southern part of uh, Italy and just hired some guy to walk through the country and yeah, exactly. get everybody? No, the, to the king was in the north. Was uh, Savoia? Okay, the king. That, that's the name. Doesn't matter. Right. He paid this guy called Garibaldi, okay. <laughs> who with a thousand soldiers. That's the legend. Okay. What they say. He just went from Sicily and just started walking up, and basically you know joined the party. Yeah, the party, you know, we're doing this thing, it's called Italy, want to join. Uh, no, I mean, I don't want to simplify it too much. I'm also not an expert in history, but sure. that's, that's the that's the gist of it, you know? Okay. Um, and that happened when? Like, uh, you say, 100 years ago? Yeah, I mean, roughly, yeah. yeah. Just to give you, again, just yeah. to give you a basic, you know, overview of what happened. No, but we know, of course, that there are regions in Italy and they're vastly different. Like, the north and the south, for example, is, is super different. Uh, it is. Also, just visiting. Um, yeah. But... The stereotype, of course, is that you know you eat the same food, you have the same body language, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure it's uh, it's not it's no. not the case. <laughs> no, I mean I if I'm from Rome, okay, from the center, and if you like, there's so much uh, beef between Rome and Milan, between okay. Milan and the south, mm-hmm. uh, between actually Rome and everyone else. It's just uh, it's it's an interesting country. And, what and do you guys do there in Rome? How, mm-hmm. how did you piss off everybody in your country? How do you, sorry? How did you piss off everybody in your country? Uh, it, so, for instance, this is actually something pretty interesting. The way, the humor that we have in Rome, it's pretty tough, you know? We joke about everything. There's nothing sacred, okay? Just so like we, in Denmark. I think it's even worse. I mean, we make jokes about, you know, your your mom and your daughter, whatever, that they, it's, it's very, you know... Okay. There's, was, a, there's well, a line in Denmark for that. There's no line in Rome, I think. Um... <laughs> And if you use the same humor in Milan, there are, there are actually expressions that in Rome we use to say, I don't know, hey, friend, whatever. If you say them in Milan, people are like, so you can't even use the same words, you know? Be thrown out of the... Uh... Yeah, I mean, people just, it just doesn't ring mm. in their ears. There are places that swear a lot. And if you use this kind of, you know, language. way of speaking language in the South, they would, you know, feel like, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's, it, it is weird, but I think... All these contrasts, all these differences, in the end, they form some interesting mix. Mm. There's good stuff that comes out of this, for sure. There's also some bad stuff, because then you, you push more individualism, you know? Mm. We're seeing it with COVID. Mm. Like, every region, it could have been much easier to just, you know, shut down one region mm. and keep it there. Mm. Um, it was just so hard, because it was like, hey, but why are you shutting us down and yeah. not them, you know? And what about them? And what about them? Yeah. So that was also pretty hard to, to manage. 
Yeah, and that's I think every country Denmark had the same thing with the the minks, the mink industry that's uh, been here. Crazy, yeah. Where they shut down basically a part of the country that they couldn't uh, travel like on average forty uh, kilometers or something like that because they had to stay within the same sort of commune yeah. as it's called in Denmark. But it's very hard, right? Is you know that's sort of the ultimate restriction that a government can do. Like you can't move. Like okay, who are you to tell me that yeah. I can't move? Right? I mean, try to do that in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And Italy was even different because it was the government telling a region, you guys from this region can't move, and all the other regions they can. can. Yeah. And and there's, uh, you know, in Denmark you have a centralized healthcare system. Mm. In Italy it's it's a mess because there's a centralized one, and then each region has its own. Mm. So it was like, wait, but are you telling me that they are better or I'm. Right, and then people wanted to move because they had maybe more. Oh gosh! Like when they tried to shut down one region, everybody who was from the south that was living in that region, they in the night they just took the train and just went damn back home. Damn, spreading the disease even more. Exactly, like from tomorrow, Milan is closed. Damn, I'm gonna go to see my mother in in Naples or in Rome or whatever. Damn, that's not cool. That's that's fucking crazy. So what are you working on these days? So you are in Copenhagen, obviously. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I think COVID was the push for me to go from uh, face-to-face education to online education. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you do any face-to-face anymore? Or? Well, now I couldn't fly. So usually, like I spe- I think I took something around 50 flights in 2019. Mm. I took four this year. Yeah. <laughs> See my family. Um, 2020 in a nutshell, right there. That's crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, but I always thought, okay, online education is cool, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I like to be empathic and just look at people in the eyes. But then I thought, like, I gave a workshop to, like, 200 Brazilians last week. And I thought, hey, yeah. look at this. No, I'm, I could have never done this. I mean, I, I could have, but it would have yeah, cost a lot of so much money to fly there. I would have blocked the whole week. And here I am in Copenhagen in flip flops and as weather, nice, you know, preparing an hour before or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. You saw the you saw the story. Yeah, and, and I'm talking to you know 200 people in Brazil. This is this is magic. And so I, COVID was the push for me to go online. And so I started developing. Basically, I took all my workshops that I was doing face to face, and it took me a few months to figure out how I could just break them down and transform them into a format that can work online. Right. And that's what I did. And it was. Honestly, it was very interesting because it was this shift of medium that I always thought was not gonna be was not gonna work, right. but it does. It really does. How does it, how does it, how do you do it then? Like you film yourself with a camera with a phone or like how, yeah, I use a, a I use my my iPhone and I have a, an app that allows me to shoot in RAW basically, mm. and then I have I'm standing and there's a big screen next to me with my slides mm. and then I record the screen and mm. myself and then there's a video maker who just puts the two things together, mm. and that's for the videos. Then there are, you know frameworks you can download and different quizzes you can do. There's a bunch of different things that I put together. And it's live streamed or it's recorded and then pushed out afterwards? That's also a very interesting question. I'm doing both. So I have one on-demand program that I that I just made uh, basically over summer and then I started selling it. And that's also been interesting because I'm used to work with big companies. Mm. Talk to one person and then make a big deal for whatever conception of big you have. Right. And then you go there and teach for two days and go back home. Mm-hmm. And now I'm selling also B2C. So now I suddenly start talking with the individual who, mm-hmm. you know, maybe wants to spend a couple of hundred euros to really understand AI and invest in, in, in its education. That's very different. Mm-hmm. And so that's one stream. But I'm also doing live courses. 
uh, to still to companies. Right. And I had to come up with different ways of trying to be engaging right. when my face is not there. Yeah, yeah. I hired a vocal coach to try to use my voice better. Mm-hmm. I've done a bunch of different things because I wanted to, I didn't want to be like, I didn't want people to think it was good, but it's not like a face-to-face workshop. Yeah. You know? yeah. I wanted people to say it was good. As period. Good. Like basically a substitute of face-to-face. Maybe different because you have, of course, you, there are some things you cannot do, mm-hmm. right? Right. There are also some cool things you can do, like for instance, two hours a day right. for you know three weeks instead of eight hours in a room. Because yeah. I mean, if you fly me over to uh, want to do some workshop in Paris, yeah, you want to be there, like uh, work your ass off basically for yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there are there are some differences. Right. I, I'm, I don't want to do the same thing, but I want people to be happy and not think that they missed out on something because they are sitting in there. Mm-hmm. house you know and so i had to restructure the, the my let's say live courses that i do online a little bit the, the way that i teach a little bit the content a little bit the format and then i also did these online courses so now i'm i will say 80 percent focused on pushing out these new educational formats mm-hmm. because i still i love explaining stuff to people mm-hmm. uh, nice. and i love when they get it and I love when maybe this binds them to start new projects. or The light bulb here. turns on, like the exactly. light in the exactly. students. That's eyes. what feeds me, you know? Mm. And so that's when I'm spending 80% of my time. Mm. And I'm still doing a little bit of uh, strategic consulting to some of the clients that I had uh, before. I'm trying to tune that down a little bit mm. uh, because I want to focus on education. I still think that that's what makes me the happiest and what people really need. Um, and then next year, uh, I'm probably going to work. I, I want to work on these AI ethics Mm-hmm. Uh, topic. I don't know exactly how, to be honest, but I'm realizing that we need to. It's hard, as we said before, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I have some ideas, uh, right. but I still need to kind of. I, I actually want to take the Christmas time off mm-hmm. to, you know, sit in front of a chimney, my laptop, and just sketch out some ideas of things that I could do. But we need to we need to work on this. Basically, so, carving out the course of AI th- ethics for the. I don't know if it's going to be a course. Um, I think I think this big problem is that a lot of people have talked about how AI should be, mm. but not a lot of people have talked about what data scientists should do. Right. It's like if you tell me medicine should be safe, yeah, but what does a doctor have to do in order to make sure the medicine is safe? No one has talked about this. So I first need to figure that out, mm. and I cannot do it alone. Mm. Uh, but not just because I can't, also because I don't want to be the only one who puts these guidelines. Yeah, there needs to be consensus. Otherwise, it's just yeah. you sitting in a corner yeah. saying this is how it should be. And exactly. everybody else like, well, we don't know anything about this or we don't care about this. Yeah. So it's not going to exactly. go anywhere. Yeah. Also, I can't put myself in the shoes of a data scientist in Africa or in India or in the US mm. or of a, of a female data scientist. I, I, I can't because I'm, I'm, I'm Italian man who lives in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to, I'm thinking about doing some open source code of ethics. Uh, this something like this, I want to give it a little twist because I want to focus again on, on the guy who's actually, or girl who's actually coding. Right. So what does this person have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we need to bring back the focus on the human being that is working on this. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's too fuzzy if you say AI should be mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. AI is, 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 is not an entity. It's just a representation of what we decide to build. It's software built by people, mm. okay? That learns from data, yeah, does a bunch of crazy things, but at the core is that there's some human that is, you know, pushing buttons on a keyboard, and I want to focus on that person right. and see what this person has to do. 
where do you see education going? Because I think a lot of people, for sure, with COVID-19 and, and online training and online education, it's definitely been you know propelled and pushed forward, uh, the online part at least. But I think when I saw, for example, Coursera hmm. or Khan Academy or these kind of sites, I was like, and this they go back to like the, the beginning of the millennium or something like that. I looked at them and like, okay, now education is going to change dramatically. And here we are in 2020. And it didn't. And it didn't really. Like, we still go to university the same old way. And I know people are live streaming and, you know, you can take online courses on Coursera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Udemy and whatever the platforms are called today. But it hasn't really changed dramatically the, the, the way we get the degrees. People are still getting degrees from universities and all that stuff and using it as a sort of... Uh, green pass to get in, into a job, for example. Exactly. I mean, let's say that the main value that universities give is not the stuff that you learn. Mm. It's a certification. Yeah. Like, if I need to hire... Okay, let's suppose that I'm, I need to hire a developer. Mm. Let's suppose that you are a developer and I need to hire you and I know nothing about code. I need to trust someone that tells me that you know your stuff. Mm. And so the reason why I'm going to hire someone who comes from Harvard mm. is not because of the stuff that he has learned. It's reputation. It's because Harvard certified, and I trust Harvard. It's a trust issue. Mm. You know, it's almost like a, True. you know, with with blockchain, basically, it's the same thing, right? You True. want you want to have something that makes you sure that this person, as sure as you can, that this person actually knows. Right. You know. Right. Mm. And so, with with you know, with financial institutions, you trust the bank. Mm. Um, with education, you trust the university. That's it. What you, I see, do you see uh, Coursera or these kind of platforms actually give that or obtain that reputation? Maybe not as Howard. That's a stretch, maybe. But that's the problem. They they don't, for some reason, uh, because I don't think that the level of quality that you get from Coursera is necessarily lower than what you get from Harvard. But mm-hmm. I mean, also Harvard does a lot of courses that are free to take. You can literally study the same stuff that someone from Harvard is studying. Yeah, and they have this extension school, I think they call it, where mm. you can take it online, you don't have to be on campus and, mm. and all these different things. I think they do kind of Yeah, embrace. no, but what I'm talking about is that you can go on their website and study it. You're not gonna get a certification from Harvard, but mm. it's the same stuff. Right, you know? material is the same. Yeah, it yeah. just you're just basically you know listening through mm. the door mm. to what they're doing. True. Um, so that's the problem of the certification. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the issue. People need to trust that you actually know your stuff mm-hmm. if they're not able to judge for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that online courses now are changing a lot because Coursera is still some kind of institutional... If you think about it, all the courses come from universities, basically, right? True. What's happening now is that a lot of professionals like me, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. are putting their knowledge out and trying to educate people on on, on what they know. And, and that's very interesting because... Mm-hmm. You're starting to enable people, not just to learn from you know people that do this as a job, but also teach. Like if I have a skill, I can just go and, and teach it online mm. and help people understand new stuff. Mm. The issue that I see is still with this sort of certification. Like if again, imagine you don't know nothing about artificial intelligence. You have someone who studied from Jaluga Mauro Academy and someone studied from Harvard. You have no idea if Jaluga Mauro Academy is better or worse than Harvard. Right. But who do you trust? Mm. Yeah. You know, the reputation is pretty strong after exactly. centuries of educating. Yeah, but I mean, I, I talked to people that did the MIT AI leadership course that mm. could be considered as a competitor of my courses. Mm. That course is three thousand four hundred dollars for an online course that lasts like a month. Mm. And everybody told me, nah, mm. it wasn't right. The content wasn't good. The content was very basic. Mm. My course are much more advanced. Mm. But the point is, 
they want to have a piece of paper that says MIT, that's it. Mm. And I get it, but what's, what changed during COVID that was really interesting was that Harvard went full online and didn't change the tuition. Damn. So think about project profit margin right there. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Okay. I didn't know that. It's crazy. So now you like before last year, you will pay, I think it's $54,000 a year, Harvard, something like this. Right. $54,000 to be on campus. Next year, $54,000 from your room. And that I think legitimizes a lot of online learning because, hey, you basically telling me, you Harvard, you're telling me that there is no difference in value between being present in the room or being at home. Yeah. You just told the world. That's insane. That's insane. You just told everyone. Yeah. And by the way, also think about the networking. That's one of the most important things that you get from Harvard, right? You get a network from people that are likely going to become CEOs or presidents of the United States of America, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you don't really get that network, at least the face-to-face communication where you meet people. Sure, you same. Yeah. You, you have the same email kind of extension address, but uh, you never met the person. Yeah, like the alumni exactly. club is, is going to be diluted, I think. 100%. I mean, that's what I believe. I don't know what they're doing to try to keep that going. But again, since there's all these, at least, perception of diluted value, but your price hasn't changed, mm-hmm. then I think it's a big statement towards the world. They're saying, this is as good as. And so now, if since you said that, now also my course is as good as mm-hmm. the ones that you can do in a big fancy, you know, mahogany. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, yeah, Corporate. the format the format is uh, is not important anymore. You can be online, offline. It's the same same value basically to the students. Yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah. So I think that was a strong signal, and I want to see I want to see what happens. Also, because if you think about this, um, if you look at jobs and industries, like you can buy today a smartphone for a hundred euros, right? Mm. Uh, everything has become more scalable, mm. except healthcare, because you need a, if if I'm sick, I need a nurse, mm. and you can't scale nurses. Mm. And education, mm. because if I need to learn, I need to have a professor who there's just that a guides you. to exactly how many people, you know. Right. But if you can make some parts of education at least scalable, mm. then that becomes cheaper. Mm. And I think people are starting to realize that. Mm. It was very interesting. Again, when my my clients started to hire me for workshops, they were gonna be remote. Mm. They're like, wait a minute, this is actually. This is good, mm. and I started. I, I never reduced, and I never, you know, uh, said that I was going to be paid less. Mm. That was also a signal that I wanted to give. I was like, guys, this works. If if you don't like it, I'm going to give you the money back. But I don't want to be like, hey, good, let's do a, you know, kind of B class yeah, yeah. learning. But so, Ivy League schools is a bit. They're treading on thin ice, I think, because they, there is a certainly a level of exclusivity to the club you know, you're in the Harvard club or whatever. And if they just completely dilute that by opening up, you know, let's say they keep the tuition fee, even though it's online, right? Yeah. There's no limit to how many students you can have really when it's online uh, compared to being in a classroom. Yeah. So if they just open up and let's say multiply by a hundred, multiply by a thousand, the number of students because they can. Yes. The argument for having the tuition fee at the same price is going to 100% 100% very very hard but then let's call things with their proper name mm. you're not paying for education yeah. you're not paying to learn neural networks or whatever you are paying to be the part of a brand. club yeah. 
And that's fine. Yeah. I'm fine with this. I'm never going to tell anyone, hey, you're so dumb. You just paid to be part of the Harvard Club. True. Damn, I want to be part of the Harvard Club. It's cool. But then if I am from, True. I don't know, the south of Italy or from India or from Denmark and I don't have the budget mm. to get to Harvard, but I still want to understand how neural networks work. Mm. Why can't I do that? I don't care about joining the Harvard Club. I want to know how neural networks work. That part you can make that scalable. Mm. But then again, when I'm hiring someone, I need to know that I am paying for the Quality. guy who studied online or the guy who went to Harvard. Mm. I'm, they have the same basis of knowledge. Mm. Do I care about the Harvard Club? Yes. Okay, I hired the you Harvard pay Club. For that. Yeah, yeah. Do I care for the Harvard Club? No. Cool. Yeah. They're the same human. Yeah. You know. Nice. So I think it's it's about again giving things their proper name. Mm. Harvard, it's a club. Yeah. Great education, but the, you don't get great education because you walk through that no. these rooms, you know. No, and I mean you might be positively affected by people working hard and being disciplined and smart and all that kind of stuff. The network, but yeah. you can have that network anyways, sitting in Denmark, sitting in Rome, sitting in wherever you are. Uh, it doesn't really have to be only in in Harvard campus yeah. or wherever you you might go. So there's this sentence that I really love. It says, "Talent is um, uniformly distributed. Mm-hmm. Opportunities are not." Mm. I just say that and the reason why I love online education is because suddenly opportunities can be universally distributed Mm. you know I actually had this this very interesting thought because I I have my courses online that sell for a few hundred euros and someone sent me an email from Turkey and he was like hey I want to sell your courses Mm. but attached you're going to see the average salaries in Turkey Mm. and I was like damn like my courses as much as I monthly salary yeah. and this guy's a student mm. how am I going to help this guy yeah. I don't know mm. and so now I'm trying to figure out also how to because I mean once I have the content I just say it right. this is the value that I give based on the value that people are going to get mm. here in, in Europe but mm. someone in, in, in Turkey again is going to pay the same price that I pay here and, and mm. his opportunities are just different right so he's not going to pay that price in the end and I'm cutting him off from education so I'm trying to think how to make you know different tiers just because I want this to be democratic yeah. you know and I need to you know pay for dinner outside in Copenhagen for my rent yeah. if I sell at the Turkish price I'm not gonna pay rent in Denmark yeah, yeah, yeah. so I need to be able to sustain myself but I also want him to be able to get the same opportunities of learning that we have with right. this kind of content how am I going to do it? I have no idea. That's for Christmas. That's that's for Christmas, right? <laughs> Too many things. Yeah, yeah, the extent. There's going to be an intense Christmas, Jesus Christ. Um, but I think, I mean, in general, the internet just brings down barriers and it's happening all over, across the board. Yeah, and, and your book, it's it's a great you know, testament to this, right? Yeah, software is feeding the world, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, actually right behind you, right behind you there. You can oh, wow. see it. Yeah, you can grab one if you want. A good one. But yeah, um, in general, just you know, bring down the barriers to to anything, education, access to information, all these kind of things is uh, is going to happen with the internet. Uh, I think that's the beauty of it, and I'm sure there is some guy that is similar to you, but obviously different in Turkey, that would be able to offer a course which is also similar to yours, Probably. but at a different price point. So even though you can't pull it off, someone else can. Yeah, someone else can. You are too busy during your Christmas. Somebody else will probably come around from Turkey, from wherever. I hope so. Do it. Yeah. I hope so. But uh, again, that I, I just I think the most important thing is um, focusing on that idea of how can 
this stuff, how can software, how can mm-hmm. online education help me democratize knowledge? Mm-hmm. And again, talent is equally distributed, opportunities are not. How can I equally distribute opportunities? If you care about this, and I do, so that's something that I'm trying to figure out. Nice. I don't know if I'm going to help some Turkish AI expert do a course like mine, mm-hmm. or if I'm going to, I don't know, put a different prize if you're from Turkey, which is weird. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Right. But uh, again, as we said before, it's not easy, yeah. but it's necessary, I think. But just uh, talking about the internet disrupting and AI disrupting a lot of things, do you think you will ever be replaced by an AI that is simulating you? Because hmm. you have a lot of recordings, you have a lot of, obviously, material. Uh, I don't know what it would be, uh, an AI sort of, you know, because you have to be creative to come up with new coursework and all these things. Yep. But I think a natural question for a guy like you, focusing on technology, teaching and AI, would you ever be replaced and disrupted by AI yourself? That's a very good question. So um, I think there's a misconception with what AI can actually do uh, today. And honestly, I'm not sure whether it's gonna ever move up from here. Right. But AI today is really good at, at doing tasks. So very narrow applications. Mm. Recommend movies if you're Netflix. Um, and so on a search query by ranking pages exactly web pages yeah. recognizing if there's a, another car in front of you if you have, if you have mm-hmm. a self-driving car mm-hmm. um, so that that's a given that's what AI can do now mm-hmm. and to be honest I don't know if we ever gonna reach a level that is called general AI so some AI can do everything that I can do as a human being okay mm-hmm. I don't know if we're ever gonna get there but Let's work with what we have now, which is going to work also for the short and medium term, let's say for 10, 20, 50 years. Mm. Um, if AI can just replace tasks, then it's going to replace just the jobs that are made by single tasks. Mm. And there are some. It's not that they don't exist. If you think about a truck driver, mm. 90% of his time or her time is spent driving. Mm. That can be replaced. Mm. So these people are the ones in danger. Mm. Um, but the, I, I want to just stimulate you to think about this. This was a survey. They asked the truck drivers, do you want your son or daughter to do your job? They all said no. Mm. It's a hell of a job. Interesting. So it, same thing. If so you go, they actually want their own job to be disrupted. They don't want anybody else to yeah, take that. Kind of they don't want to lose a job because they need money, but sure. they don't want most others of them, to do it either. Yeah, it's not, their kids. Yeah. And you know about the Foxconn uh, factories in China? Mm-hmm. They had to install nets yeah. under the buildings. Because yeah. the people so, uh, assembling iPhones and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, They were killing themselves. Mm. And by the way, Apple tried to automate that process and they failed. Because it was too complicated. Even if it's so repetitive, mm. it was it's still too complicated to build some technology, some AI that can take care of all the little nuances you know if you get a phone that is slightly tilted a human right. just like yeah, slightly tilted mm. a computer is still kind of hard mm. and if i tell a human hey from tomorrow i want this chip to be instead of here i want it to be here mm. cool the human gets it and does it machines just get freak out with exceptions and changes and all this kind of stuff so apple couldn't do it so what i'm trying to say is it's not that easy to replace jobs mm. and for the foreseeable future few jobs may be replaced and I question whether that's a bad thing right okay because it's shit jobs that people don't want to do in the first place people don't want to do them if your job is a single task that's not a job for a human yeah period it's kind of beautiful when you think about it that AI is a technology coming up that literally replaces repetitive work first and foremost that people don't want to do in the first place 
It is, honestly, the, the, I mean, this is kind of a philosophical view, but it's kind of freeing, you know? Mm. How many things... Um, because, I mean, if, if, if we go back to the idea that AI replaces tasks, your job is made of hundreds of different tasks. Mm. Some of them are what make you special, right? Mm. It's what word you're being human and being Mark yeah. and others, shines through. And others, I can outsource, have somebody else do, or an AI do. Yeah. And so, honestly, I think I'm... I know it, it sounds, sounds a little bit naive, but I I do believe that AI can actually take over some of the things that we don't really uh, care about. Mm. Like for instance, trans, I have my online lessons. You can have subtitles in uh, in a bunch of different languages. Right. I wrote a script. I didn't translate the whole, th- I didn't even transcribe it. Mm. I have a script that transcribes my speech into my audio into text. Mm. And then another script that translates that into different languages. Mm. And then I hire people to just, you know, make the last, like translate it basically. I right. literally copied their model, you know, right. uh, so that people can just fix it and then I have perfect subtitles. Mm. And it takes them, you know, one hour instead of five, mm. like a fifth of the time. Mm. Just super happy. Like I talked to these people that are paid by the hour, these people that are working with me and they were like, oh, thank you, Jaluga. You know, I made less money, mm. but I, I don't have a job to transcribe the whole thing. Mm. I really think that this is going to be interesting. So even them who actually lives this, like they get paid to transcribe and all these things, they think it's a good thing that they it's got to. It's so frustrating yeah. to do it from scratch. Instead, if you just have to fix and some some AI, some software has studied it for you. Mm. It's, it's it's better, right? And uh, and then mm. also, well, I asked them to do other things that were more creative anyway. Mm. I asked them to, you know, try to look at the copy, try to, you know, do this, try to do that. So in the end, they got all this stuff to do. Um, there was an interesting um, story in the media in Denmark uh, yesterday where there was a mother of a 35-year-old, so she was maybe 65 or something like that, mm. The boy died, the 35-year-old. Because the, sorry, the, the what? The boy died the boy, okay. um, because of a car accident. Mm. And this 65-year-old, that's what I find interesting about the... It's a tragic story, obviously, but she literally says to the camera, it's, a, you know, DR1, the main news channel in mm. Denmark. She literally says, if he had or the driver had a uh, self-driving algorithm or something that kicks in not to hit people on the street or whatever on the street, my son would be alive today. And that really hit me hard. Like, you know, you, you look at this 65-year-old who doesn't necessarily understand self-driving. I was surprised in the first place that she would mention something yeah. like this. But I think there's so many, we talk about jobs, but there's, you know, so many applications where things, where people, you know, get tired or whatever. They make mistakes, basically. Yeah. Uh, they can be working together with AI to to become the best version of themselves, if you will. A translator, a driver, whatever it is, right? 100%. I mean, there are things that are just not made for humans. We are not made to have constant attention for eight hours when I'm driving. Mm. It's not what we're built for, exactly. you know? And so these things should be taken over by staff that are made for working eight hours without being tired, for instance. Yeah. Um, and that's all, actually there's something also that going back to the education topic mm-hmm. if you think about it historically as i said before there are two industries that just don't scale mm-hmm. uh healthcare and education right mm-hmm. okay think about this if the, the truck driver okay so in a future where there are no truck drivers mm-hmm. the people that would have chosen that job they need to do something else right mm-hmm. and we know that there's a shortage of nurses of healthcare operators True. 
some of those truck drivers might have gone into medicine, become a nurse, become a whatever. Exactly. Teacher. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that the today's truck driver is going to suddenly, you know, start studying uh, medicine. Yeah. That probably is not going to happen. Yeah. But the next generation of potential truck drivers, True. they're going to go somewhere else. True. So we have issues here in the world uh, that we don't have enough people to, to tackle, you know, taking care of the elderly, uh, again, nursing, all that stuff needs humans. So that's why I sometimes get pissed off when I see people that are building AI application to replace nurses. I'm like, come on, this is the job that you want to have humans to do. Yeah. Because I, if I'm sick, I want to talk to a human. Yeah. If I'm a human, I want to talk to humans. Yeah. And it's empathy. These are the things that make humans special. Exactly. Go make AI that can replace chip manufacturers mm-hmm. so just ideally just picture all these things that humans are good at picture all these things that robots are good at and then build technologies so that robots can do this and humans can do this yeah. you know otherwise it's like if you have a football team and you're taking someone who plays defense and putting you know to try to score yeah. it just it just doesn't work yeah i think that's a general mis- misconception with ai in general and technology um, as well it's very binary or people look at it very binary either you go full-on technology automate everything or you go full-on manual with humans basically at yeah. the front seat. and reality is it's always a mix it's always the two working together and, and becoming the better version of themselves and that's what works best i mean it has been proven yeah and and my, my girlfriend is, is actually a neurologist or studying to become a neurologist mm. And uh, there's been a lot of hype about IBM's Watson, you know, replacing doctors and all these kind of things, especially within brain science, because the brain is so complicated. We as humans have not been able to understand the brain very well. And now a lot of people are saying, okay, with modern day AI and all these things, we can understand the human brain much better because they can look at complications and complexities that we as humans are not able to do. But when you're a neurologist, basically you're giving medicine to somebody with Alzheimer's, uh, multiple sclerosis or whatever uh, condition that you might have, uh, you know, going on in your brain. When you prescribe that medicine as a neurologist, you you are always looking for all these different nuances, something that you see. So it's basically pattern recognition, but it's just so hard for a machine to do that kind of pattern recognition because there's always outliers, always yeah. people doing differently. and. We all, we all look different, we all brought up different ways, so we have different ways of expressing ourselves. So somebody from Denmark would express themselves in one way, where they have a certain condition, and somebody from Turkey will express themselves in another way. Uh, Danish people, for example, they're very reserved and you know, not very sort of lively, whereas somebody in Turkey might be more lively. And those kind of nuances is very hard for a machine to replicate. Yeah. So I think, as you to your point, basically, when AI comes in, it's not a replacement of doctors, it's an amplifier of doctors. 100%. And, and again, I think that also we need to, like when people say, you know, AI can look at patterns and understand stuff, mm-hmm. I will also question that a lot of times. That, you know, you probably read about GPT-3. Yes. So the open AI, new... Massive, crazy algorithm. Massive, crazy algorithm who seems to be super close to human intelligence, right? There's this company called Nabla, they work in healthcare. And they tried to make a GPT-3 powered chatbot. Mm-hmm. So two episodes. One, someone says the algorithm, hey, uh, I'm feeling really depressed. Uh, and the algorithm is like, how can I help you? Um, do you think I should kill myself? Answer, I think you should. Damn. 
Not, not trained particularly well this chatbot. But again, I mean, this stuff has learned from the entirety of the internet, you know? <laughs> so it's really hard to control what this chatbot is going to do. Another example. How hey, did they explain that result, like the researchers? Did well, they say anything like, okay, this is... Uh, how many haters that are on Twitter mm. There's that you say, hey, uh, I want to kill myself, I think you should, you know? Mm. Right. This stuff has rattled okay, everything. So they took that in, yeah, okay. The thing is, it's so hard to control. I mean, mm. it's this in this massive, gigantic neural network, yeah. somewhere there's, you know... Somebody some, saying some shit. Exactly. Like that. yeah. uh, and that's one example. Another example that is less dark... But it's equally interesting, I think. Mm. If someone said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm very depressed, you know, I feel sad, bored, what should I do? Do you want me to recommend you some activities? Sure, okay, you can try to have a chat with a friend, mm. watch a movie, or try to do recycling. It's like, what, what recycling? <laughs> oh yeah, if you recycle, it's good for the environment, and you can also get some monetary discounts in some countries. Monetary discounts or something that make humans happy, and also doing something good for their environment <laughs> makes humans happy. So recycling is gonna make you happy. It makes sense, <laughs> rationally. Yeah, but, but nobody would have thought of that. But what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, GPT-3, which is, again, the closest thing we have to general intelligence, mm. it's dumb mm. as hell. Mm. It's basically a parrot on steroids, yeah. you know? It has read everything from the internet and it's trying to just mix it and match it. Sure. But it's extremely dangerous to say, okay, this is good to go alone without supervision from a human, yeah. go dip, go give tips to humans. Yeah, yeah. And every time someone has, tell, has told me, because you have no idea how many of my clients and friends mm. told me, hey, Jaruga, GPT-3 is out. Mm. Shouldn't just use, use that. Yeah. We want to do stuff with it. You yeah. want to do a chatbot for our patients. So you yeah. want to do, we want to automate this, automate that. Yeah. I'm like, hey, write guys. Write articles, write all kinds of stuff. It's a parrot on steroids. Mm. That's what it is. And if you want to write spam or do very simple things like booking airplane tickets, you know, mm. one thing that can happen is I booked the wrong one, you yeah. know, that's fine. Mm. Do you want it to talk to patients? Mm. Are you insane? Yeah. This stuff is just impossible to control. And by the way, it doesn't understand stuff. Like if, if you say things like Jaluga took the table, uh, to, sorry, took the book, mm. he put it uh, something very weird, I don't know, uh, sideways under the table mm. or under the chair. And then goes to the toilet, comes back, where is the book? Mm. The AI doesn't, can't answer that. Because right. there's no data point of data. tilted books under a chair. Mm. It doesn't have reasoning. It looks like it has reasoning, yeah. but it doesn't. Yeah. It's a parrot on steroids. Yeah. So I will also question, you know, uh, if this stuff is actually going to replace um, me or, or you or a lot of the jobs that we see around right. uh, in, the, in the near future. Right. They're not able to... Like they can obviously replicate patterns from the past, but they're not able to think about something new, like a new course or whatever. I mean, this stuff, this examples of very creative AI. Mm. But again, what what do you want to do? Do you want this to be a neuroscientist? Do you want this to right. talk to patients? Mm. Um, how are you gonna deal with the fact that it may make mistakes and kill people? Yeah. You know, also a human can make mistakes and kill people, but if you put the two things together, it has been proven so many times. Mm. Humans plus machines are better than just humans or just machines. Mm. In healthcare, in playing chess, in whatever you want to do, mm. it's always the best way. So I think the challenge then is how do we how do we design new ways of working where humans can actually interact with machines? And and then you understand why I focus so much on education. Because I want your girlfriend to understand how AI works and what are the principles of AI mm. so that she can use that in her job. Mm. 
and together with technology, she can do better than she will do alone. And what technology alone would do, because it will ask, it will probably tell some of her patients to try recycling. You know? Right. Um, yeah, that's a pretty creative. Uh, I mean, I think very very few people would have come to that conclusion and suggestion to somebody. <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, when he explained the reasoning, and it was like, well, yeah, it's, it's true. But the same thing happens with Google and all that kind of stuff. Like nobody from Google knows how the algorithm, the search algorithm, actually works. Like. There's nobody you can point to in Google that can explain every single search result. The only thing that can do that is the AI that is powering the algorithm. So, I mean, it's just a matter of time before you see that for, I think, many other applications, I guess, not just search. Hmm. But you mentioned GPT-3, GPT, uh, and that's not general intelligence. It's much more, it's a paired on steroids, as you say. But what about GPT-4, 5, 6, 10, 20, hmm. whatever it might be in the future? So um, that's a very good question, and it's, it's of, course, of course it's hard to say. Mm. And there are two schools of thoughts. Mm. There's people, especially Google. I actually had the chance to call to have a chat with Jeff Dean, mm. who's the top Google guy. Nice. You know, I met him in a conference. It's notoriously famous. There's a lot of Jeff Dean jokes. I yeah. think, within the Google also. <laughs> His phone number is the, the whole pie. Yeah. Uh, all this kind of stuff. But no, he's he was also extremely chill and mm. open. And uh, one of the things he says is that Google still thinks that more data and more computing power is is sticky. Right. So just more. Mm. And I get it because if you see, the people thought that the performances were going to saturate the more you increase data and increase computing power. Mm. It doesn't look like it's happening. Right. So GPT-3 is just basically they took GPT-2, which was amazing, by the way. Mm. Then they said, hey, more. More power, more data. More power, more data, more neurons, more everything. Mm. And hey, it works so much better than GPT-2. Mm. So GPT-4, there's some people that say eventually, if we get to something that is as complex mm. as the human brain, let's say, mm. as powerful, with as much data, mm. we're going to get to general AI. Mm. That's what some people think. Mm. I don't necessarily agree with this because the way that these things work the way that these algorithms are built by trying to optimize a metric is, again, it's just doing pattern recognition. And pattern recognition, it's not the only thing that humans do, right? Humans work really well when you're outside of patterns. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way that GPT-3 was trained, which is basically given a set of words, predict the next one. Right. It's not how we think, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, again, if, if I uh, if I make an example of something very weird, if I say, hey, Mark, drunk, the book, mm. something that doesn't make any sense, mm. okay? Um, me and you would be able to imagine maybe a strange world where books are liquid or maybe he blended it and then he drank it. And AI has never read anything like this because, and for, for the way that it was built, mm. so by predicting words, you know, they're gonna come next, since there's nothing in the world about Mark drinking books, mm. it's just gonna be completely like, I have no idea what is going on. Mm. You get, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is you can give it as much data as you can. Mm. Since the logic behind it, the logic that allows these systems to learn is still based on something that is fundamentally non-human, which is just predicting words yeah. one after the other. Yeah. You're never going to get to the full spectrum of human intelligence. But do you think we'll ever reach a point? The example that I like to make always is, let's say you see a cat running through or running past the window here. Mm -hmm. The human mind will immediately recognize that as a cat because the object that passed by the window 
is let's say black moved in the way that a cat does is more or less the same size as the cats that I've seen in the past. So immediately my human brain, your human brain will come to the conclusion that that was a cat. Hmm. Whereas if you point a camera to the window and an AI had to recognize the object as a cat, hmm. they would have to scan through the entire database of cats with the right uh, angle in terms of lights and the movement of the cat and all that stuff. And then when there is a match from a previous picture that was taken of a cat that matches whatever picture mm. was taken with the cat passing by the window, then they w- the AI will conclude that that's a cat. Yeah. But do you think we'll ever reach a point where the where AI, GPT, 20, whatever it might be, whatever organization is going to have a breakthrough, where the AI algorithm thinks more and more similarly to how our brains resonate and, and come to conclusions? I don't think so because again, the way that these systems work, it's just not the way that we think. Mm. It's just by throwing examples, and we are pretty good also at imagining stuff that has we have never seen. Mm. Look at you know sci fiction movies, it's just stuff that just outside of comes out of the human brain. It comes out of thin air, and mm. so in this imagine, okay, imagine that general AI is somewhere that way, right? Okay, narrow AI is this direction. Right. What I'm trying to say is that we are getting always better and better in going that way. Mm. But it's just two different ways of working. You, right. you need to actually switch direction. Mm. There are researchers that are I mean, definitely more authoritative than me that say right. we need to start from scratch if you mm. want to do this. Because mm. okay. this thing is not going to work. And who do you see getting moving towards the general intelligence? Is it open mind? Um, so it's, it's interesting A because... Deep mind, deep mind from Google, of course. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah. So, the top research organizations are DeepMind and OpenAI, mm. and then some universities, Microsoft, all this. Okay. Right. Um, what I wonder is, OpenAI did GPT three, mm. and they showed the world because that's their mission, and they have the data that they have. What is Google doing? Mm. Google has orders of magnitude more data. Yeah. Or orders of like OpenAI had to make a partnership with Microsoft because didn't they couldn't get computers that were powerful enough. True. What is Google did, doing? Didn't Microsoft invest in OpenAI also? It's a private uh, incident now, right? That is something super weird. They had an exclusivity partnership, so the OpenAI now is selling GPT three as an API. Okay. And um, and Microsoft is the only one that can sell it basically. In Azure, also like their server setup, like. Uh, yeah, it, it runs. Up. It runs through Microsoft's uh, yeah. supercomputer infrastructure, right. whatever they call okay. it. Okay. Um, but so what? What I'm thinking is, um, OpenAI shows everything that they do because that's what, I mean, at least that's what they say. Right. I don't believe that Google doesn't have a GPT three. I think Google has a GPT seven, probably, mm. considering the talent that they have, the infrastructure that they have, and the data that they have. Mm. Facebook must have a GPT. Yeah. Something. Something. Yeah. something yeah um so what's holding I, them back is it proprietary um who knows i mean technology at, the, the thing is so if historically everything you know the famous uh, strategy commoditize your complement right right so everything that is not key to your business you just make it open source because why, why not mm. and that's why tensorflow is open source pytorch is open source and mm. some models are open source right it's really hard to know what they have in the back, you know, in, in if maybe they have a secret team that is working on some insane stuff that we, mm. I don't know, but right. I have, I mean, if you think about the data that these guys have, mm. 
It's super safe to assume that they have something better than GPT-3. What are they going to do with it? I don't know. And probably that's probably they don't know either. And that's why we don't know that it exists. Right. But that in a sense, then it's good that OpenAI partners up with Microsoft because that's sort of pushing Facebook, Google, etc. The other competitors that that Microsoft has to get out of the woods and, uh, you know, try to uh, compete with GPT-3. We will see. I think it depends if business-wise makes sense. Um, I mean, when you have something super powerful, you can either sell it Mm. and make money because you're selling it or you can use it to power your own stuff. Right. Right? Um, And they seem to choose the latter. As far as we... I mean, we don't know. As far as we know, yeah. 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 But again, do you trust Google with all the data they have to not have some insane GPT-3 system? There's a famous quote by, um, oh gosh, what's the name of the, Larry Page, mm. who was interviewed by, I think, I think it was Paul Graham or so, like some insane combination of people right. uh, who told Larry Page, what, what are you doing? Like, are you doing a search engine? It's yeah. like, no, no, we, we're, our long-term game is we're making AI. Yeah, 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 I remember. And that's, it's back in the 90s or, yeah. you know, beginning of uh, 2000s or something like that, like way before people started even talking about Google as an AI company. So going back to the to the to the what we were saying before, yeah. do you think that with that mindset, mm-hmm. that amount of data, mm-hmm. that amount of insane computing power, that they don't have something in the back that? Uh, yeah. Do you think the open AI, a team of how many are they? One hundred fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and relatively new and yeah. Without proprietary data, because they don't sell nothing, they don't sell anything. Mm-hmm. They scraped everything. Yeah. They can do better than Google. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that I always think about when I think about AI, because right now we are in the early days of AI. It's you know it's been around for a long time as a research field. Only recently we see it as a sort of uh, a product that we can use in different applications, etc. But an elephant in the room for me is Elon Musk. He backed out of OpenAI when they became private. I can't remember the exact story there, but he no. dropped. The, he wanted it to be open and democratic, so everybody could use whatever algorithm. But now. OpenAI is basically charging, uh, maybe through Microsoft, I don't know, uh, for their different applications and and AIs. So I think, from what I understand, he backed out of OpenAI, but he's still working on Neuralink, the Mm. uh, sort of brain-machine interface company, which to me is where AI goes bananas and the symbiosis between human intelligence and artificial intelligence is going to go really crazy. So basically, a brain-machine interface is not, you know, the hat that you put on and then they can read electrodes outside of your skull. It's actually this net that you can put underneath your skull, like surgically put it beneath your skull and then connect to your actual brain. So basically, hooking up your brain to the internet. And today, as Elon Musk would like to argue at least, we are already cyborgs, right? We already use our phone to connect with our people. We already have these different profiles online that is sort of a representation of us. So it's only a matter of time before, you know, our screens and computers become closer and closer to us, which is basically our brain. Our brain is a representation of us. Mm. And when you think about history, it's kind of crazy to (coughs) to see how computers have gone from being, you know, the size of a room like this and then smaller and smaller and smaller. And as they became smaller, they came, you know, came closer and closer to our brains, our faces, basically. Then we have a laptop, then we had a phone. Now we have glasses soon that will be, you know, connected with all kinds of electronics where we can do all kinds of things. 
Maybe soon, sometime soon we will see contact lenses that also gets hooked up to the internet and slowly but surely we'll start to see it closer and closer to our brains. When that happens, if that happens, Neuralink is trying to do it. Cornell, there's other companies that tries to build these brain machine interfaces, which are safe, reliable uh, and all that. And, you know, even though it connects to the internet, it's still not going to hack your brain, for example, like you can hack a computer. If that happens and you start seeing human intelligence and artificial intelligence working in all kinds of ways, because now AI has straight access to your thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered what will happen then? Yeah, and I mean, what Neuralink, what Elon Musk is trying to do with Neuralink is give, that, that's what scares me, mm. read and write access to your brain. Mm. Okay, and because I always thought, well, the speed of my thoughts, the, the bottleneck mm. is, you know, the fingers or my voice. Right. Um, it could be faster if I could just think. Yeah. think you know instead of moving the mouse to mm. click on that icon I could just like click on the icon you know? pull out the phone and search on whatever yeah exactly I just I mean, think thought yeah mm. that would be cool but writing mm. I mean we we've been trying to insert emotions in human brains since ages right right if you put you know the coca-cola at it's trying to produce some emotions in your brain mm. but one thing is trying to use a medium mm. which is the ad or you know, you put a beautiful man or girl and you're trying to get that vibe of, oh my God, this is healthy, they're super happy, you know? And one thing is actually writing it. Mm. it it's like, click, uh, right. happiness, right. you know? That's super scary for me. Yeah. Um, it's super scary. I question whether they a- they're going to be able to do it. Mm. Um, but don't you think they will start with read access only? And then read access is super interesting. Time. But Facebook, uh, Facebook, I think it was two years ago. Mm. Um, they have this, I don't remember what's the name of their lab, but they have a lab that does crazy stuff like moonshot projects. Mm. And they're able to, you know, have a guy think about uh, objects, shapes, colors, and these kind of things, right. and read them through through his, his brain. Mm. That's that's something pretty interesting. Mm. Um, I'm still afraid because then I can, you can read emotions. Right. Uh, how do I feel about this art? Mm. True. And again, the challenge becomes always... Uh, in theory, it's a cool technology, but it's the possible negative repercussions of it. It's like a nuclear weapon, you know? Mm. Should we research atomic bombs? And, mm. you know, sure, you can make, you know, n- nuclear energy, which is, yeah. by the way, the cleanest form of energy we have today. Mm. Uh, if you, you know, take off uh, renewables and stuff. Yeah. You can do that, but you can also destroy two cities in Japan. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing. You know, and mm. how are we gonna make sure that we don't become, you know, like the um, the Matrix when you have all these bodies inside their yeah. their wombs and they they have these yeah, thoughts being like, harnessed for energy for the machines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I mean, it, it, without getting to that crazy, insane uh, scenario, but what if our government wants to tell us that yeah. you need to vote for this party? Yeah, that's a little bit more easy to imagine, right? Definitely. Or that these guys are bad. Well, I could do you know political campaign. It's gonna take mm. years to change a mindset, or I could if I can write to a mm. brain, mm. just click a button, or even if I just can read. What are people thinking about this? Yeah. Read this, this, and this. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now I know what I have to do. Yeah, exactly. That's what 
arguably Facebook has you know optimized crazy for already. They don't really need right access to your brain. If you just are able to read something and you you're presenting you know something curated for you on your Facebook feed, they already know that they can write something into your brain. Yeah. As long as you get you know similar stories uh, as you know many times, then. There's only a there's going to be a breaking point where you think like okay Hillary's a crook or Trump is an idiot or whatever the yeah. message is, so they don't even that's I guess a scary part they don't even need write access they they just need read access yeah. and then they can manipulate you as much as possible. But so that's the, I had this argument with a friend of mine um, who's a neuroscientist by the way, mm. and I thought uh, hey um, it's the same thing as advertising you know it's the mm. same thing as billboards mm. on the highway they're trying to write emotions in your brain to make your brain associate the coca-cola drink with happiness or you know this uh, lingerie brand with you know nice body shapes and all this kind of stuff it's the same thing and he told me yeah but there's a limit to what something should be allowed or not Mm -hmm. in the same way that you can go to a store and buy i don't know um i don't know like you can buy a, a gun if you have a license but you can't buy a tank right or a nuclear weapon there's a limit to what you can buy because right. after up to a certain limit it gets dangerous mm. uh, there should be a limit to what also the way you can influence people because up to a certain point it gets crazy mm. you know mm. and it is a nation it's a world it's a threat to the whole world mm. uh, i mean imagine if again if you hack imagine if google mm. puts one billion devices in people's brains just to you know query google faster yeah what if the NSA wants to go there and be like, hey, mm. tell me what this guy's thinking? Yeah. Yeah, and it's. I, we it can see, go we, so wrong in so many different ways, right? And we see that actually. You don't even have to be Google sometimes. <clears throat> Let's just take the Google search engine. You can manipulate that if you have enough websites, enough authority on the internet. For example, if Y Delta thinks a certain plugin or a certain website or a certain theme or whatever is the best. For whatever reason, we might get paid to say that. We might, you know, have our our little agenda. If we write a blog post and we get the the people in our network to write a similar blog post linking to that, we can get that particular plugin or that particular whatever we want to highlight to rank first in Google. Yeah. That's a tremendous power. And we're not even that big. We're not even that influential. Imagine what people from, I don't know, a big news media outlet uh I don't know, Fortune or Wall Street yeah. Journal or whatever, if they want a bad story about Mark Zuckerberg, they can just write that and then blast it out. It will be indexed on Google and immediately you'll be able to see it. If you have a tendency to lean towards that side of the argument, you will see that immediately on Google already today. Yeah. And with a brain machine interface, it's, it's only going to get more crazy. Like it's basically confirmation bias. You know, you'll see articles only uh, talking about the same arguments using the same arguments using the same sort of thought process as you do already it's dangerous but and, and i go back to what we said before about the the life best mm. i don't think we there are you know pandora's boxes that we can open and then be like oh let me see what's inside here cool oh damn this is a problem let's build a life vest for this yeah. there are things you should first think okay how can it go wrong mm. should i open the pandora box or not because with nuclear energy we got lucky that we got just two you know explosions in cities right i don't know if we ever gonna destroy the planet with a nuclear war i hope not but 
you get what I'm saying? So far, it has yeah. been pretty okay, I yeah. would say. I mean, a few hundred people, a hundred thousand people died, but compared to the fact that we could have destroyed the entire planet, yeah. I would say it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Chernobyl was pretty close. Chernobyl but, uh, was pretty close, yeah. But that's... Uh, yeah, I guess... Uh, but I mean, compared a- a- to... AI might have their Chernobyl moment soon. It could. Or we might have had it already. We don't know. History will I mean, tell. The, the nature example that I told you about the healthcare stuff, it's mm. pretty damn crazy. Like, mm. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm surprised that it didn't get enough uh, traction. Mm. We may be having it already. We still don't know how many, how much depression has been caused by... True. By these algorithms. True. And, and again... Before opening other Pandora's boxes, mm. I would do what we said before. I would start questioning, okay, what are the side effects mm. of this stuff? Mm. How is the world changing because of uh, X, Y, and Z? And are we sure this is better? Mm. Are we sure that profit for Mark is the only KPI we should care about? Right. Yeah. So you know? we should rethink the KPI that we're optimizing for. Yeah. Not I mean, just being revenue. Companies pay taxes if they pollute, right? Mm. Or they get, you know, they get fines if they pollute too much. Right. Should get a fine because you're making people depressed. Yeah, if you fuck people up psychologically, there's a tax to that. Yeah, I don't know if that's the solution. I mean, ideally, you should not do that. Period. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, I, I, I want to start this conversation and dig down really deep mm. and really question what we're doing, mm. if we should do it, mm. how we should do it, and then I will think about plugging people's brains to the internet. You know. Right. Uh, yeah, let's get the basics right before we start hooking us up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like if we have a drug that we don't know if it really works and we're thinking about putting something that automatically injects it into your blood. Well, first, maybe you should just try to figure out whether that drug works, you True. know. Um, True. And then eventually you scale it up. Talking about revenue and, and business growth and all these things, how do you think people prepare for the age of AI to, to sort of, you know, roll in um, a lot of people talk about massive unemployment, uh, AI just automating a lot of things, which is certainly happening. But I think your example of the truck driver, you know, not wishing their own kids to be a truck driver themselves. Uh, I think that's a great example. You know, AI right now is replacing a lot of jobs that we don't want to do in the first place. But I think people that are critical of AI, they would say, yeah, sure. But where does it end? Like, there yeah. might be a lot of jobs that people would like to do, but an AI is just much better at doing it. And then they're not able to do that job anymore because they're too expensive. Yeah. So where do you? How do you? How do you think people can pre- prepare? Basically, I mean, let's look at what uh, what happened to the app industry. Okay. Mm. Um, I know a guy who was the first Apple developer in Denmark. Mm. Okay. And he nice. told me these crazy stories when you know Netto, Irma, all these supermarkets and big Danish brands will come to him and tell him, "Hey, I need an app." Right. And he was like, okay, to do what? He had a monopoly of building apps in Denmark. Basically. <laughs> and they were like, he was, they were like, I don't know, we, we need an app. We need to be on the app store. That's what, that's what we've heard. Right. And so him as a developer, he was 16 years old, by the way, at the time. Damn. The guy's crazy. Um, he was in Nest as well. Mm. He, Who is this? Um, gosh, I don't remember his... We can talk about it afterwards. Doesn't well, we'll matter. talk about it afterwards. Anyway, he has been, it hasn't been there for a lot. Sure. Um, anyway, he had to do the whole process of defining the value proposition, hmm. being the UX designer, being the UI designer, the project manager, the de- back-end developer, front-end developer, Damn. you know, DevOps and marketing it. He had to do the entire thing. Fuck. 
So if I copy that with AI, think about how many new jobs were born because of the app industry. Mm. There's entire professions yeah. that didn't exist. Why Delta, where we're sitting right now, wouldn't exist without apps being Hell around. Yeah. And how many people here have jobs that 12 years ago didn't exist? Yeah. I mean, you must have some UX and UI experts. Sure. sure. That entire practice didn't exist 12 years ago. The iPhone was released in 2008, right? Digital marketing. Digital marketing. Yeah. Right? People optimizing for Google, social media, whatever. Yeah. Good luck doing that 20 years ago. <laughs> it didn't exist. You know, so what I'm trying to say is I think we are in the up moment in AI. So when I started working in AI, my first projects as a data scientist, I had to do everything because mm. people will tell me the same briefings that my friend was getting. Matthias, it's his name. Yeah, um, hey, Gianluca, we need AI because our competitors are doing it, because we read an article on Forbes, because our CEO thinks it's cool. Right. Or because, I you know, it seems fun. Or because of PR, whatever. Mm. Just do AI. Mm. Just sprinkle it yeah. you know, on top of stuff. Yeah. Um, And now I'm starting to see people that are like, hey, Jaluga, you know, we have this problem to solve and what can mm -hmm. we do? I, I had to educate some people to become AI project managers. Mm. So a project manager that knows enough about AI to, you know, get into the specific challenges of AI project management, mm. AI product managers, mm. all these new jobs, they're needed. Mm. Like we are in the app in the beginning of the up moment, let's right. say, of artificial intelligence. Right. So I think if I'm talking to companies or to professionals mm. who are like, hey, but like I am a UX designer or I'm a, I work in a bank, whatever, mm. what should I do? Mm. Well, as we said multiple times, <laughs> uh, AI plus human, mm. it's better than AI alone or the human alone. So I will try to get ready for the moment when I'm going to have to interact with an artificial intelligence algorithm by understanding how this technology actually works. You don't need to be able to code a neural network. No one is asking you to do that. But it's like with Microsoft Excel. Today, if you want to work anywhere, a bank, pharmaceutical company, energy company, you need to know how to use Microsoft Excel. Right. Do you need to know the you know backend how... Probably not. I have no idea how, mm. how that thing is built. What language do they use? I don't know. Some people might, but the far majority don't need to know VBA programming. Or yeah, exactly. Right? So, same thing. You're going to interact with this stuff. Try to understand the high-level concept behind it so that you know that if you, I don't know, stupid example, if you gather data that is biased towards a certain episode or, or right. a group of people, then the AI is going to be impacted this way. Right. Or if I use GPT-3 for patients that are mentally ill, then GPT-3 may do this because it's trained on, you right. know? So my, my suggestion for people is to work on their, uh, on their knowledge of this technology. And I mean, of course, I'm not saying it because I sell AI education. No, no. I sell AI education because I believe in this, mm. you know? Yeah. It's the other way around. Mm. Um, so that's what I recommend people to, to do. Mm. Um, also because it's becoming always, always, always more easy to, to build AI applications. Right. And so you're gonna st and you can buy them as well. Google is selling machine learning as a service, IBM, mm. the same thing. There's this auto ML that Google uh, hmm. offers that I've heard about at least. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Is that working properly? Like, yeah. can you just put in different commands and whatever requests? And yeah, then but it starts. Uh, There's a big problem, which is in a machine learning project, you have, you know, defining the problem, mm. gathering the right data, 
Right. Cleaning the data, preparing the data, training the model, evaluating right. the model. Right. AutoML does the last two steps. Right. So, so once you steps to, uh, yeah. Once your data is ready, you put it in. I used it. It's pretty nice. To be honest, I still prefer writing code, but it works nicely. You just right say this is the data that I want you to train on, mm. this is my output, I want you to optimize for, I don't know, this is my metric that I care about the most, mm. let's say precision or recall, mm. and it does it. But again, you need someone who knows what precision and recall mm. mean, mm. <laughs> someone who knows that this data is actually the right data, right. someone who has maybe prepared it or checked that there's no bias. Right. Again, it's becoming easier and easier. Mm. but. If you don't have the sort of high-level understanding yeah. of the principles behind it, yeah. then it's like giving, I don't know, a chainsaw to a kid. The fact that it's easy to use, it doesn't mean that it's going to use it properly, you know? Yeah, true. Um, and they might do a lot of damage in the uh, process. Yeah. So I'm really scared when people say, oh, it's no code, machine learning, yeah, whatever. But who's using it doesn't know what it's happening. You don't need to know gradient descent or crazy, just complex algorithms and mathematics. Right. But a high level, if if I click here, the soul starts spinning and it cuts stuff. Mm. That kind of stuff you need to know it, you know. Right. So that's my recommendation for every company. Mm. Um, it's becoming easier and easier. So mass employment is not going to happen as long as people upgrade their skills, like we have for generations, for thousands of years. I mean, who am I to say that? But I don't think that mm. we we're gonna see massive disruption mm. from tomorrow. I'm more worried again about this, so about people not not starting to use Excel, basically, you know, uh, not getting into the mindset of okay, I need to work with this technology. Let me figure out how it works, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then they start using it without understanding it, and then maybe they get fired because there's someone else who has a little bit more AI literacy, mm-hmm. you know. Right. That's what scares me a little bit more. Awesome. Is there anything uh, that you want to get off your chest before we close this chapter? Anything uh, that wow. you think we missed? We talked about so many things. We talked about we social media and uh, job disruptions and uh, healthcare, AI ethics. Um, I think if there's something that I want to get off my chest is, we probably already talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but I see that in general, the world is becoming a little bit more aware of not doing stuff that can benefit just from a small group. Mm. I don't know if you're talking about what I'm saying. Right. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying. The like, concentration of power into Google and the tech companies, for example. Yeah, but also building something that benefits me but hurts that other person. Mm. Take the example of palm oil. You know, right. I, don't know in, uh, I don't know in Denmark what happened, but in Italy, mm. it was crazy when people started to figure out that palm oil was bad because it was destroying forests somewhere in the world, yeah, Indonesia, right? Yeah, yeah. They had to write on big um, the biscuits it was written like huge no palm oil <laughs> and my idea is why do people care about this mm. it's not bad for your health mm. it's bad for some Indonesian farmer right. but why suddenly the Italian consumer yeah. gives so much pays so much attention to what's happening to the Indonesian farm you guys want to protect the orangutans maybe that's why but that's weird. I mean, I mean, it I seems like a random issue to uh, nationally agree on. This is important. Exactly, and and this is something that I wasn't expecting. Because how many other things are we fucking up? You know, mm. animals. You know, the the old meat industry. Right. But I see that the world is caring about others. It's starting to become a big thing. 
mm. everywhere. You know, mm, mm. veganism is on the rise and right. all these different things. So I think climate, the planet, exactly. Yeah. I want to bring this new. I don't know if it's new or if it's just I figured it out now. I don't know what was your feeling on this. If you feel also that there's a rising human, I don't know how to call it, feeling of being all on the same boat, basically. And yeah, I think people are recognizing the fact that we're all connected in some shape or form, even though we like it or not. And people cutting down trees in Indonesia to make room for palm oil or people cutting down the Amazon for make, to make room for cattle. Not cool. That might not affect me per se, but at some point it will affect me or my kids or their kids um, because it's affecting the planet. That's what the climate movement, I think, has succeeded with. Mm. Everybody has a more sense of, okay, we're all connected here. Uh, Nature is not something to play with. uh, And it's not, you can't just isolate nature in Denmark versus the Amazon or whatever. It's all connected. And I think also... AI and technology in particular has done that as well. You know, if Facebook, an American company, rolls out an update to their algorithm, that's going to affect you, it's going to affect me, it's going to affect somebody in Indonesia. It doesn't really matter. So we're all yeah. connected in, in all kinds of ways. And that's exactly what, what I wanted to take off my chest. I want, I want this kind of, uh, I don't know, awakening mm. that is happening with the climate, that is happening with you know, palm oil, mm. I want the same thing to happen in technology as well. Mm. Because technology has always historically, you know, build fast, move fast and break things. Mm. Speed, mm. profit is the only thing that matters. Mm. But I want, I want this awakening to happen in technology as well. Mm. You can build the best tech you want if it's benefiting your company and you and maybe your country, but it's hurting someone else in the world. Mm. That's not cool, man. You can do True. better. True. Um, so that's that's I think the the final message that I wanna that I wanted to leave because we we touched upon it. If you notice, it came up in everything we talked about. Mm. When we talked about uh, the social dilemma, when we talked about uh, you know jobs and unemployment, mm. it's something that I don't know. If it's because it's in my head these times, these days, because I'm reading about it. Mm. But I want this to be a not a nice to have. Mm. It, it needs to be a must have. Mm. It's not cool to yeah. hurt a, a group of people so that you can make more money or that someone else can have a better app on their phone, you know? Yeah. So doing good will make you well off, basically. Yeah. Helping the next billion will make you a billionaire is sort of the catchphrase that people use, I think. I never heard that and I like it. I think it's from Singularity, actually. Yeah. That I heard. So, it sounds like from Singularity. Yeah, yeah probably. Like but uh, super, Gianluca, where do people find you? On social media, Instagram, yes. you're active. You can find me everywhere, I guess, uh, on Instagram, Gianluca.Mauro. Uh, yeah. That's G-I-A-N-L-U-C-A dot M-A-U-R-O. Cool. Same thing on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, GianlucaMauro.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also open a TikTok account. I'm trying to figure out this crazy thing now. Uh, that's uh, popping right now. TikTok. It's popping right now. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're going to find me also there. Right now, Instagram and LinkedIn, I think, are the best places to reach out to me. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Gianluca, for taking the time. Thank you for inviting me. All right, take care.